Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. I'm excited to introduce to you our series, Pastor Chat, and the kind of mini series underneath of that um, called The Celebration of Stewardship. And today we're going to be talking about the joy of giving. So I will say I missed you guys last week. I'm so thankful for Derek and our team. I'm so proud of you. Um, Archer, if you weren't meeting at the YMCA, if you were online, uh, it probably didn't look that much different. You know, Derek was showing from his room, uh, from his living room instead of mine. But um, we had an amazing time at the YMCA. And I just think it's a sign of health when I can leave and things go well. So I'm really excited. Derek is in New York right now. You can see this picture of him. He's with an incredible group of guys. He's leading a men's retreat. And then he's also going to be preaching. Actually, as this video premieres on Sunday, he's going to be preaching in Avon, New York. Now, uh, what's interesting is that you guys have had pastors on the broad, uh, pastors abroad the past couple of weeks, because last Sunday I was at Transit Church. I did an evangelism training last Saturday, and then last Sunday, I was able to preach at this incredible church in Alexandria, Virginia. And this church, Transit Church, has been supporting us financially for years. So they've been giving money to Rachel and I's personal missionary support so that I can get paid to do this church plant. But then they've also given Redeeming Hope some significant gifts, especially in light of COVID, to help us kind of come through the COVID season strong and enter into 2022 strong. So with all that said, Derek and I have been praying about what to do as it relates to this mini-series, and the celebration of stewardship came. And it kind of came out of um, me preaching at Transit Church church who has been a significant financial partner to Redeeming Hope, and then also our church-wide reading plan that was walking through the book of 2 Corinthians over the past two weeks. And so um, it's, it's the church's gift of transit church that was inspiring us. And then also it was Paul's encouragement to the Corinthian church to give and to give joyfully. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today is the joy of giving. So we're just going to talk about three points, the attitude of giving, the motivation of giving, and the context of giving. So first, the attitude of giving. Now, um, I'm a Bible nerd, okay? When you go to Bible college, they introduce you to all these obscure Bible passages that no one seems to remember. And I kind of grew up in a, in a very conservative Baptist context um, that, that said, no drinking at all, no drinking allowed. They actually put out a little pamphlet that said, Jesus did not turn water into wine. He turned it into grape juice. And so there's this brilliant line, there's this brilliant um, picture in the book of Deuteronomy 14 that we're going to look at in just a second. It's one of those gotcha passages. Well, did you know that God said this, right? And uh, a lot of the Bible college students would love those little gotcha passages. But actually, as I went back and read it, I actually think this gives us a powerful picture of what biblical giving looks like. And it's different than anything I've ever kind of seen or heard before talked about. I think it's really quite powerful. So I want to begin our time as we talk about the joy of giving in this more mini-series, the celebration of stewardship. I want to talk about um, what the Bible can teach us about giving and joyfully. And the first thing I want us to look at is the attitude of giving, which is joy and celebration. Look with me at Deuteronomy 14. 
You shall tithe. Tithe means 10%. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord God, your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. This is God's word. So as we begin to look at the the attitude of giving, we see a completely different picture than at least for me, what growing up in the church context was, it's a completely different picture that kind of blows your mind. Now the context is, is that God is writing these laws and rules for Israel so that when they got to the promised land, they were in the wilderness, when they got to the promised land, when they got to the nation, they would already have some of their laws and rules established. And so one of this was that every year you give 10% of everything and, and you bring it back to God and you actually celebrate with your friends. You have a big party. You go to the temple, you go to the temple of God and you celebrate with your friends and you will eat of it. So you eat your grain, you eat your oil, you take some of the best of your flocks of the sheep and goats and you cook this stuff and you eat it. Well, the provision is what if, you, what if it's too far away? What if you made too much money and you made too many things and, and carrying all that stuff would be too burdensome? So here's the deal. The context was you can't get to the party with your friends. So what do you do? God says, sell a 10% of everything you made, get it money, put it in your hand and go buy bourbon and barbecue and good wine and consume it in the presence of God as a party and as a celebration of God's provision that you may fear the Lord your God always. You may respect him, you may honor him as God and as the source of your provision. I want you to think about that for a second. That's what tithing was. It was a celebration, it was a party. Everybody would bring 10% of everything they made and they'd come to the temple and they would celebrate God with their friends. And if you couldn't do that, you sold it, you got money and you bought good barbecue and barrel-aged bourbon and you consumed it before the Lord as an honor to him, right? So uh, this past week, I was uh, visiting with my in-laws. Okay. So I mentioned last weekend, I was preaching at a partner church. I was in Annapolis. And so I was staying with my in-laws, Chase and Trish. Now I love Chase. Uh, Chase is my father-in-law. He was an electrician for 20 years and he's been a prison chaplain for almost 20 years. Now um, he has a very, he's a very regimented man. And every night he would ask me if I was staying for coffee in the morning. And he does this very specific ritual where he doles out the, the scoops of Folgers coffee into an automatic drip coffee maker. Now, um, some of you may know this. I'm a bit of a coffee file. I love coffee and it's just not good. The, the, the Folgers is, is it's, 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 it's not good. I keep Folgers in my house for when my father-in-law visits. He visits like once or twice a year. And I've had the same can of Folgers in my 
cabinet for like five years now and nobody notices the difference. Like that's just, it's just cigarette ash that you run hot water through and you drink it angrily. Okay. So like that's how you drink Folgers coffee. And so it's not good. So I came home and, you know, I drove 12 hours, uh, drove my mom back home on Wednesday and Thursday, I was kind of a little discombobulated. I had some meetings over at the house in the morning. I just set an automatic drip with some coffee that we had, but Friday, Friday hit. And I ground these beans, these Mexican oxycote or whatever. I don't know what it's called. All right. It's from Roadmaps Coffee Works. I'll, maybe I'll throw a picture up here on the recording to show you. And so it's this incredible Mexican coffee. And I did a French press and I did a timer on it and I'm ground the beans a specific way. And Rachel had already left for, for work. And I, I, I poured it into a mug and then into a carafe for the rest of it. So it didn't soak in the beans too long and get bitter. And I'm in the house alone and I take the first step and I said, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is so good. Whoa. I literally said that the dogs freaked out. They were on the couch right behind me. They, they jumped and ran upstairs. They thought I was angry. Okay. I was walking out on the back porch to smoke a pipe and read the Bible and spend some time with Jesus. I literally said, Oh my gosh. Wow. This is so good. Like the feeling when this black gold hits your lips and it's so incredible. It's this transcendent moment of joy. I went from drinking cigarette ash filtered through hot water to make you angry to like this incredible gourmet coffee experience. It's some of the best coffee I've ever had. It is really some of the best I've ever had. Maybe it's because I've been a week without good coffee. But my friends, that feeling that I got when I got that mug and I took that first sip of this amazing coffee. That's what giving is. That's what giving supposed to be. It's supposed to be a joy. It's a joy to offer back to God what he's given. And when we can enjoy it, like we can actually experience joy and enjoyment from the act of giving because nothing is ours and everything is his. It inspires actually gratitude and joy and a celebration of the life that God has given us when we offer that back. And so to even further prove this point, um, Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians, and, and we read this this past week in our church-wide reading plan, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 5 to 7, it says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift that you had promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the context of this is, I mean, thousands of years after the Deuteronomy 14 thing, there's still a practice of tithing, of finances. And the Corinthian church said they wanted to give to Paul's missionary efforts and to support the church in Jerusalem who was under persecution and financial hardship. And so what he does, he sends Timothy, Titus ahead of time and he went on ahead to kind of help coordinate and plan the money piece. Titus was like the administrative guy, right? And, and he says, I, if you sow 
sparingly, you reap sparingly. But what I want to focus us on specifically is that last phrase, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is in the Greek word hilarion. It's where we get our word hilarious from. This idea of being boisterously merry, hilarious, joy-filled. That is what it's supposed to be. Giving is supposed to, it's designed by God to inspire joy. And it's that same joy as the French press. Hitting my lips after a week of Folgers to give back to God and to give for God willingly. Not because you have to, not because it's your spiritual tax that you have to pay, but because we get to. That's how it's originally designed to be. It's designed to be joy and celebration. Now, that's what it's supposed to be. But I have in my notes, and I'll put it on the screen here, we've got a quandary. The quandary is, I don't see people jumping for joy, hilarious, excited, laughing, giddy when we have our giving time every week. (laughs) That's not our natural human state, right? Our natural human state is not to say, oh, I'm giving you my money. I'm not excited about that. It doesn't always feel that way. And actually, a lot of times in our natural flesh and inclination, we have a resistance to giving. So how does this work? There's a disconcordant nature to this idea of what it's supposed to be celebration, joy. That's the attitude, but the reality is it's not. Well, we we have to go down a little deeper. That's what it's supposed to be, but then we have to get down behind the motivation of our giving. And the motivation of our giving is Jesus's possession and provision. Now, remember that Deuteronomy passage about uh, buying uh, barrel-aged bourbon and barbecue and celebrating it in front of God, right? Well, look at what happens at the beginning of that chapter that actually frames that whole conversation about giving. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 14, two. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. My friends, you and I give our treasured possessions in joy when we see that we are God's treasured possession in his joy. Let me read that again. We give our treasured possessions in joy only when we see that we are God's treasured possession in his joy. My friends, God has chosen you to be watching this video right now or listening to this podcast. He's chosen you to be a part of a church family. And right now you're joining us online. So you're part of our family today. He's chosen you to be a part of his family. And so what we do is we give in joyful response to that. So the reality of who you are today is that God delights in you. God loves you. God chooses you and invites you into his kingdom. And God values you as precious. And as you follow Jesus, he protects you. And so starting with that basis, we see that naturally he begins to provide for us. Like if God delights in you, he loves you, he's your father, he's your friend, then wouldn't it make sense that God would provide for your needs? Wouldn't it make sense that he would give you what you need if he loves you, delights in you, chooses you, invites you, adopts you, redeems you, brings you in, reconciles you back to the father? Like, do you see how Jesus like is actively wanting to provide for you? And if he's the God of the universe that owns everything, he will provide for you. So do you see like that's the basis, that's the heart motivation of giving is that we give our treasured possessions because we are God's treasured possession in his joy that he has chosen and invited us in with him. 
And that's in Deuteronomy, okay? Now we gotta go to 2 Corinthians again and we see Paul repeating these themes. It's like the Bible was written by God and he had a whole theme and a plan for thousands of years to communicate that this is supposed to be a joy-filled thing and it's actually motivated by God choosing us. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to 8. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We already read that. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Listen to that provision. He, in the midst of talking about giving, he's talking about God's activity towards us, God's provision that's motivated by the fact that we are God's people. God is able to make all grace, all sufficiency in all things at all times, and then you can abound in every good work of which financial giving is a part of that. And as we give, we actually, it's a discipline to remind our forgetful hearts of God's provision. And as we give, our giving is motivated by God supplying everything that we need. Why? Because we are his possession. So God provides because we are his possession. He invites us in. And as we choose to follow Jesus, as we give our lives to him, how much more would we give our money to him? And then he provides for us. So we give out of the understanding that we are his chosen possession, his people. And we give out of the fact that he is the one that's providing for us. So the question that I have then is, how does this motivation play out in the local church? Well, what's great is that we have a record of Paul motivating, encouraging, Uh, the Corinthian church to do this. And then we're going to walk through a couple of verses here in 2 Corinthians 8. So we're going to go back a chapter from what we've been reading to see how he's motivating, how this plays out within the context of a local church family. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy And their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So one of the poorest cities that Paul has visited was a place called Philippi. That's actually who he's referring to because he wrote another letter to them called the book of Philippians. And in it, he talks about how they were so generous to him and generous to the churches. So they gave money out of their poverty. They had extreme poverty, but they had an abundance of joy. And the abundance of joy and their extreme poverty resulted in an overflow of wealth of generosity on their behalf. They were begging Paul, let us give money to the Jerusalem church. Let us give money to you to send you on your missionary journey. And they were supporting the Jewish community in Jerusalem who was under persecution. And it was abundance of joy, extreme poverty. Why? And we see it at the end. It says because they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to others in need. And my friends, this is how we do it at Redeeming Hope. This is how I want us to do it. I want us to give out of joy. First, we give ourselves to God, right? And then to one another in service and financial support. That's what we do. And we don't want something from you. 
We want something for you. As you give, you are reminded that you are God's possession, that he is your provision. As you give, you are blessed. The Bible says if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow in generosity, you reap generously. God will provide for your needs in crazy, amazing ways as you partner with him to see his church move forward financially. And we see this over and over and over again. We don't give to get. What we do is we give in response to the fact that we are God's chosen precious possession and that he provides for us. And then in response to that, God then blesses us and allows us to be a part of his gospel moving forward as the Macedonian church was doing. They were begging. Why? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to one another. Let's go on. 2 Corinthians 8, 6 to 7. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace as well. See that you excel in this act of grace also. You're doing well, but you need to improve in this area. That's what Paul was saying, he's like, you're loving others, you've got faith, you've got speech, you've got knowledge, your church is growing, but I want you to excel in this act of grace. And so, my friends, I love our church family. This is a place that I want to invite my friends. I was, I was talking to one of my pastor friends the other day. If you cut me, I bleed our vision. I want to follow Jesus. I want to help others find Jesus. I want us to live life like a family. And if you cut me, I bleed for this vision. I love this vision. I do this for free. Derek does it for free because we love this vision. We love what we're about here at Redeeming Hope. And we want you to do it too. And we want you to love this. We want you to partner with us in this. However, this is an area that we need to grow in. Because for years, we've been supported externally by other churches, by other organizations that are supporting both Derek and I's salary, as well as our church operating fund. We've got people that tithe to our church that don't attend, that don't even live in Tennessee. And yet we've got people within our church family that have not yet grown in this discipline. And so as you are growing this beautiful church family, as we've seen this church family care for people like the Burns who moved from New York and are giving them food and are delivering food to them and caring for them, as we've seen other people when people are in need, we've actually raised support for multiple people in our church that have had financial needs and we've put it out amongst our body and our body has responded. And so all of that is good, but I want to encourage you in this act of grace also, the consistent faithful giving to a local church is going to help us grow. It's going to help us thrive and it's going to help us move forward. But really it's so much less about even giving to, you're not giving to a church just to keep it going. You're not even giving to the vision and the culture to see it spread. Although that's important. What you're doing is you're giving back to God because you are his possession and he is your provision. And you, in response to that, as an act of faith, as an act of joy-filled, generous response to his generosity, is that you're actually giving it back to God and you're entrusting it to him. That's what we want for you. We want you to excel in this act of grace also. Now look at what Paul is. Look at how he motivates them. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8. This is, oh my gosh, so good. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Listen to this. Oh man, I could live in this. This is like a warm blanket. 
on a cool day. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desire to complete it. So now, I fin- so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. There's a few things here, and I want to get to that amazing second verse, but he says first, not as a command. Paul could have used his apostolic authority to command them, to tell them to do this, but he doesn't want to. Why? Because the motivation is not obedience, it's overflow. Let me say it again. The motivation for giving is not obedience, it's overflow. It's not, well, the Bible says it, so you got to do it. It's actually, no, you have had such incredible generosity from Jesus himself that the overflow of you recognizing that is giving towards others in need. It's giving towards your local church. It's giving to support the functions of what the church is doing. The motivation is Jesus, Jesus. And then he goes in this amazing verse that, like I said, is like, like a warm blanket on a cool day. Jesus Jesus gave up the riches of heaven. He became impoverished. He entered into this world. He was the sovereign Lord reigning over the universe. And he limited himself to become a baby. He limited himself to live a normal life. He limited his power. He limited, he left the riches of heaven to save you and me, to make us a people for his own possession. So his spiritual poverty allowed us to have spiritual wealth. His descendants into the earth allowed us to ascend back to God. And so when we frame our lives like this, when this become the paradigm of our life, we desire to give our things, our money, our possessions, our house, our cars back to God because it is all his anyway. His provision is rooted in his poverty, giving up his rights for us. And we reflect that as we follow him. And this means that when we look at our possessions, when we look at our house, when we look at our cars, they are not ours, they're his. He has given them to us. He has given us the ability to work. He's given us the ability to earn money. He's given us the ability to pay the mortgage every month, right? He is doing this. It is a gift of grace because we are his possession and he is our provision. And this gives us a new way to look at our things. And so, you know, by God's grace, God has allowed Rachel and I to be able to have multiple vehicles that are paid off. And so one of the things that happens is, is that many people in our church have been able to borrow our cars when they need it. When somebody comes in from out of town, we had a church planter a few weeks ago. And I said, we'll give you a free place to stay and we'll give you a car to use. So they stayed in our house. We gave them a free car. Was it challenging? Sure was a little uh, like hard to like buy extra food and make sure that they're comfortable. Yeah, but it's nothing compared to what the generosity and the welcoming into God's household that he has done because of Jesus. We're welcomed into God's household so we can welcome others into our household. He has given us a pathway back to him. He's, he's actually allowed us to walk the highway of holiness. And that way we can give our keys to someone else and say, you can drive down highway 24 in our car. It's okay because it's actually not our car. It's God's. Do you see how that paradigm, it begins to change everything that we see and everything that we do. So we see the attitude of giving is joy and celebration. We see the motivation of giving is Jesus's possession and his provision. And then finally, very briefly, the context of giving is that our life is not our own. So in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he says these words, it's just half of one verse and half of another verse. You are not your own, 
for you were bought with a price. He's talking about this in the context of sexual purity, how not to, uh, have, not to engage outside of sex between a man and woman in marriage. That's the only time that you're supposed to engage in sexual activity. And so what he's saying is, is that anything outside of that is fornication. It's wrong. And he said, don't be joined with a prostitute for you are not your own for you were bought with a price. And he says, therefore glorify God with your body. But I think we can pull this out. And actually um, John Calvin does this. He says, there's a one sentence summary of the Christian life. And he says, for you are not your own for you are bought with a price. You were bought with the highest price. Jesus dying for you. And then Jesus rising for you, living for you. And that means that you are not your own. And the only way you can get to you are not your own is by recognizing that you were bought with a price. And you see your things are not your own, your money is not your own, and your story is not your own. And my friends, when we believe this, this produces freedom for us. Because then we're not bound by our things. We're not bound by stressing about money. And then when we practice the discipline of tithing, of giving back to God what he's given to us through the local church, not only do we support the local church to keep going, not only do we support the vision and the culture of the church so that it can be shaped so that other people can come and be a part of it, but there's even a higher joy than that. We remind our forgetful hearts that Jesus is our possession. We are Jesus' possession and he is our provision, that our life is not our own. And then we are freed from understanding these things and in, even freed from the responsibility of it. You see, the, I, when Rachel was in school, uh, I called a mentor. I was in a really rough spot. We were low on money. Of course, church was given, we get $50 a month from the church at that point in time, right? And so I'm working 60, 70 hours a week with the church. I, that was before I started my counseling practice. So I'm scraping together two or three part-time jobs in addition to 60, 70 hour weeks working at this church alone, right? Um, with very, very little help when Rachel was in school. And so we're just trying to figure things out. And I was really, really, really stressed about money. And so I called my mentor and I talked to him and I said, Greg, man, I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to put, I had to put groceries on a credit card and this is not sustainable. This is a tough spot. I know we're trying to get Rachel through school and I just don't know what to do. And my mentor said, good. I was like, what are you talking about, man? He said, good. He said, here's the deal. You're taking too much on. You're taking too much responsibility for your things. Like, well, what do you mean? It's like part of my job as a man, as a leader to provide for my family. He says, yes. And you're doing all of those things, right? Yeah. You're working. Yeah. Are you lazy? No. Making, trying to make money as best you can. Yep. And so he said, it's God's job to provide for you. It's God's job to take care of your family. It's your job to be obedient and listen to his voice and obey immediately. He said, your job is to listen to the voice of your master and obey immediately. And it's his job to provide for you. So as you are listening and obeying and you are following him, he is going to provide for you. And he said, the problem is on the Lord. It's not on you. Put it on his shoulders. Stay faithful to Jesus and he will provide what is best for you, which is often not what you think is best for you. And so Really what was amazing is that God brought us through that season of challenge. It brought us through that season of difficulty. And we've learned to actually be more careful with our finances because we had so little. We had to navigate so little and parse things out so little that we are better stewards. So now that we are able to give more, that Rachel's working a job and we're able to support more missionaries. We signed up to support another missionary. We're supporting them. 
We're supporting other people as we are supported ourselves. And I don't say this to say that I'm the model. I'm not the perfect model. And I oftentimes don't trust the Lord. I struggle with this, but it's a struggle. And it's an area that we are continually seeking to grow in. And as Rachel and I, every year, we seek to try to give at least another percent of our income out to other people or ministries or to Redeeming Hope. And I want that for you because we have experienced the joy. We have seen God's faithfulness. We have seen his peace, his provision, and and the freedom from seeing our things as our own and our things as our responsibility. Because if they're not our own, then they're actually God's responsibility. If we are God's possession and he is our provision, then my friends, it just makes life so much easier. And I want that for you. So if you're joining us, as we conclude our time today, if you're joining us, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you're still on the fence about it, my encouragement to you is to believe that you have been bought by Jesus, that he is inviting you to become his possession and he is inviting you to, be, to experience his provision. He wants to give you life and freedom. And he wants to give you freedom from the cares of this world. So I want you to hear this message. I want you to believe that it's true for you and obey by making Jesus Lord over your life. Give your life to him. Come under his mastership, his kingship, and he will provide everything that you need. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, and you're maybe struggling to follow in this discipline, you're struggling to see the joy, to find the joy and the celebration over all that he's given you. I just want to give you like three pieces of advice. And it's give, support, believe. Sometimes the joy comes as you obey. Sometimes you need to discipline yourself for joy. And so as you be, if you're not giving anything, I want you to today, I want to encourage you to give something. If you've been giving something, I want to encourage you to move to 10%. It's not a rule. Bible says you have to decide each person in your heart of what to give, but it's a good practice of wisdom. And it's actually a biblical practice of wisdom to seek to give 10% of your income. That's a sacrifice for many of us, but I want you to move towards that. And if you are giving 10%, I want you to consider what does generosity look like? What does it look like to continue to give back to God, to, to continue to press that, to continue to trust him with your, with your money, which is actually the Bible says that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And I want to encourage you to support. That's the first thing, give, support. Support the church that seeks to support you. So we've got Redeeming Hope here. We're putting out these online videos. We are putting out these uh, podcasts. We meet weekly at the YMCA. We want to serve you. And, And we want you to support the church that's seeking to support you. And we see that this is biblical, came right out of the Corinthian church. It's wise and it's fruitful and helpful for us. And so one of the things that, Derek and I have been praying through is that right now we, we only bring in about $2,000 a month as a church. And with a church of our size, it should be about double of that. If everybody in our church just gave 10% of their income, it would be far beyond that. And so what we've been trying to do is we've been praying through, we want to get to $4,000 a month in income before the fall. So over the the summer, actually typically when giving dips in the summer because people are away, but now with online giving, we want to encourage you, we want to encourage our church body to step up to this goal and continue to press forward in this obedience to grow in this gift of grace as well. And we want to see our church being able to start become self-sustaining and not rely on all these other churches and people and ministries that are supporting us. So our goal is to go from $2,000 to $4,000 a month in income by the end of the summer. And that's very easily attainable for a church our size. 
It's just that everybody's got to give. And if everybody gives and continues to give and, and moves in this act of obedience, we're going to see that that number is going to be very easily attainable. So you can automate that. You can just go on redeeminghope.org slash give. You can create an account with CCB, our church community builder. It's our online giving platform. And you can just automate it. Every time you get paid, 10% goes right out. And we've actually taken on some expenses to get into the new space at the YMCA. And your financial partnership will help with that. Now, here's the deal. You can do those things with joylessness. You can do those things out of guilt and obligation and shame. And I don't want that for you. I prefer that you don't give. I literally don't want you to give if you're giving out of guilt or shame because it's going to be the antithesis of the gospel. So what I want is for you to give and to practice the discipline that leads to joy. So it might not be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The French press touching the lips for the first time after a week of cigarette ash filtered through hot water called Folgers. It might not feel that way at first, but I want you to discipline yourself for joy but if you're doing it out of a heart that feels shame or feels like, oh, look at what this church has done for me. I just need to give them back something. I need to be the savior. No, no, no. And that's where we get to this last point, And that's believe. My friends, nothing is yours. Everything is his. And so I want us to begin to celebrate that as a church, to celebrate that he is our provision, that we are God's possession. And I want us to celebrate that in a new way in this season of our church where the giving liturgy becomes a joy. And that's what we do every week as we gather. A lot of people do give online. So that's why we have a read and response at the YMCA every week to remind people of the gospel as we give and to celebrate our possessions offering our possessions back to God. Why? Because he, we are his possession and he is our provision. So that is our, our encouragement, our exhortation today. As we look at the joy of giving, I want you to think about it like that French press touching the lips, just this incredible joy and celebration. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you and your walk with Jesus as we consider these things. Thank you so much for tuning into this online gathering. We hope you have a good day. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.